Eagles Entertainment. You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the day. And we're getting you one more Eagles Bucks preview today as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy. And as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 516. At the top of today's show, we've got three and out where I chat with my buddy Ross Tucker as we talk about traits versus players, prospects versus players uh, along a position group. It's actually a really fascinating conversation that I was really excited to have with Ross and get his perspective on. We talk about the run game, really uh, important conversation when it comes to this matchup, Eagles, Bucks, Monday afternoon, which we're going to dive into further from a Tampa Bay point of view with John Ledyard, who knows this team inside and out, this Bucks team. Excited to get John's perspective on this matchup. Also, extra analysis from our Eagles game plan crew. So Greg Cosell, Mike Quick, Ike Reese, John Clark, they're all going to join as well at the end of the episode all to get you ready for eagles bucks on monday in the wild card round if you have not already be sure to go check out greg and i's discussion about this game we pretty much emptied the notebook and our thoughts on this matchup in that episode earlier this week that said let's get into it now it's time now for three and out with ross tucker how about this for a start they've got him again what a defensive stop slave second pick of the game I'm going to have to call him Big Play. And this defense does the job. One, two, three and out. All right, back again for some three and out, my friend Ross Tucker, as we get ready for Eagles Bucks Monday night in the wild card round. Uh, and Ross, I thought one thing, just kind of going through you know, my notes from the last time the Eagles played the Bucks in week three. Looking at this Bucks roster, looking at some matchups, you know there are some positions where you can kind of get a sense of okay, especially when you have a, a regime that has been there for a while. You know, Todd Bowles has been the defensive coordinator for a bunch of years. Uh, Jason Light has been the GM now for I mean it's about a decade plus, right? I mean he's one of the the longest tenure GMs in football at this point. So you get a sense of. What's their type? And I think when you look at their front seven, you know, it's a very uh, athletic front seven following the draft. A lot of these guys coming out were kind of like raw, moldable pieces of clay, but all of them were really, really athletic. You go over to the offensive line. Outside of Tristan Wirfs, who was like a freak, they were kind of like the opposite. It's guys that were more like polished products that weren't didn't have like an A-plus trait. Uh, you know, you look at like Luke Gedeke and Robert Hainsey, like uh, Cody Malk, like all these guys were kind of cut from the same cloth. And so you had that kind of like a profile there. So I thought that it would be an interesting discussion for you, uh, number one, as an analyst, you know, looking at the entire league, but then also as a former player and you're kind of in a room with all these guys. When it comes to building out a roster in your mind, for t- you know, whether it's for the, when you played or for today's game, do you prefer traits and upside or do you kind of prefer the polished players and you kind of know what you're getting and check all the boxes? Do you believe in kind of building a whole room out of that same profile? Do you, would you rather mix it up? Like what are, what are your thoughts on this entire thing? We're going to do a whole podcast on this discussion, obviously. Yes. It's a great question, Fran and multi-layered. And I talk to people about this a lot. The first thing I would tell you is looking at the bucks and there's other teams that are like this. I feel like they feel differently about it based on the position. Yeah. Meaning it looks that way for D line. They're going to put a premium on athletic traits because they feel like guys with premium athletic traits are the guys that are able 
to have success at that position. Meanwhile, if you talk to people about offensive line, you know, Dante Scarnecchia used to say this all the time. Just give me guys that are super smart, super tough, and athletic enough. Now, in fairness, like, Matt Light was really athletic. Uh, Steve Neal was really athletic. Logan Mankins was like a freak. So, like, they had some pretty athletic guys. guys. Yeah. They had some guys with some serious traits. Nate Solder was a great athlete. Yeah, exactly. Right. They they had some really guys with some rare traits. But I think his point was well taken that – and the way I would describe it, Fran, is like for a D lineman to have success, they need to be able to – dominate someone in a one-on-one situation, Hmm. right? When they get that opportunity, whether it's run or pass, they need to be able to win one-on-ones. So they need to have the physical traits to be able to do that. Offensive line, you're usually working in conjunction with others. And while there are one-on-one situations, especially for the interior trio, it really is more about being able to work well in concert with others. Right. So what's interesting about this question too, is that number one, almost any front office scout executive I've ever met, they like the traits. They like the traits. They like the upside. They like the potential. And I get it right. Like they want to hit, on some, especially with for late round picks, right? Like, yeah. let's take a guy with traits who hasn't put it together, and maybe we hit on him. Maybe our coaches can get him there. Coaches are interesting because when it comes to the draft, I feel like a lot of times they want to draft guys with traits and upside. They they because they, they believe, Fran, that they can coach that guy. Yeah. Just give me the traits, and I can coach that guy. And Amigo, like I know, I think maybe it was Pitt, like the D-line coach of Pitt, who's awesome, and they have a good D-line. All, all he cares about is the get-off. Like, yeah. all, like, just give me like whatever guys you can find in the whole country that have the best get-off, and I'll make them a good player, right? Like that. That's the one thing he can't coach right. is the get-off, and you give him the get-off, whatever. But then four months later, exactly. Yeah, that's I knew you're going. It's so funny. It, exactly. I love this. These coaches, so the same coaches <laughs> that want the guys, I'll go offensive line cuz it's yep. my position, right? The same coaches that want the guys with the super long arms and that ran a good 40 time or whatever, they want the traits, then they get the training camp. And the guy can't process. The guy his technique's terrible. He's not getting better and they don't want him on the team and they certainly would never put him in the game. So my thing is, Fran, I can relate this to me, short arms, not a great athlete, whatever, but coaches knew I wouldn't lose the game for them. Coaches knew that I would always block the right guy. I do it to the best of my ability. If I had help, I would never, ever, ever get beat. They knew I was average at best in one-on-one pass pro, but they could scheme around that, right? And also, they knew that. Like, they knew that. But they never had to worry about anything else. And I was going to bring a level of aggressiveness and all that stuff that they were looking to have. So 
There was always every team, every year I played, because I looked terrible in one-on-ones in practice, the front office and the coaches would butt heads because the front office would want the more physically gifted guy and the coach would be like, no, no, no. Like, Tuck, at the end of the game, we have 65 plays. He's going to get a plus on like 62 or 63. Like, he's going he's gonna to get the job done. Because ultimately, all they care about at that point is getting the job done. And a coach really only looks bad if the guy whiffs or it's a mental error. And then the head coach is like, how do we not block him? Well, because Joey's dumb and Joey doesn't know who to block. You know what I mean? Like, whatever. Yeah. So um, you're exactly right about the four months later. That's uh, it's uh, as soon as you started saying that uh, you said, but I, I knew exactly where you were going with that. And honestly, you know, and again, I don't want to tie too deep down in the rabbit hole, but that really kind of changed my analysis a few years ago uh, when it was, you know, it was after a draft and you know me, like I, I'm deep into the draft. I follow everything that's going on all around the league. And, you know, you get to roster cutdown day, you get to the end of August, first weekend of September, and all the teams get down to 53 and you see who are the guys that make it, who are the guys that don't, who are the, the former first round picks that get traded for a seventh round pick. And it's like, okay, you start to kind of get these profiles in your head of the guys that are starting to stick or the guys that, you know, they, they play their way onto the roster. And it's like, okay, well, what are the traits that that person has? And you start to have those conversations with yourself about, all right, well, does that have to change the way I look at the draft and what teams value and what, you know, the good teams value, I should say. Um, you know, I, I think it's a, you can gain a lot from that conversation. And the reason why it applies here in this one, one of my first notes after the Eagles beat the Bucks back in week three was that the, the Bucks couldn't, did not have anybody that could block the Eagles up front. And again, this is aside from Tristan Wirfs, who I thought had a really good game against Josh Sweat and against Milton Williams, the guys rushing off the right side for the Eagles in that one. Uh, but everybody else from, from left guard over to right tackle, for the most part, really struggled with the, the aliens that the Eagles had up front at that point, you know, the way that they were playing. And you look at Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis and Fletcher Cox and Hassan Reddick. You look at Sweat and Williams and all these guys are physical marvels. They are plus athletic profiles. They are plus body type profiles. And they really struggled to block all those guys because of the continuity of that room. That's the, the way that that room was built. And I thought that that was a, a fascinating matchup and discussion to have coming off of that one. Uh, now, the Eagles defensive line has not uh, produced from a, a sack and pressure standpoint since that point. You know, it's over the last few weeks that has not been there so this matchup has a little bit less lackluster but i think it's gonna be fascinating to watch here and see how it plays out on monday night that said let's stay on the line of scrimmage let's go to uh your topic here yeah so a lot of this is in my head because of the national championship game mm. in college football between michigan and washington but i thought this maybe all year maybe the last couple years friend so most tight ends in the NFL, and I would say a large portion of the college ones as well, they're really not good blockers. Like, mm -hmm. it didn't used to be this way. Yep. There, such a premium has been put on the passing part of it and the receiving part of it for tight ends in particular that there are tight ends now in the NFL, and lots of them, they could not block a defensive end at the point of attack in the run game to save their life. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, out of 10 plays, Fran, they might be 0 for 10. I mean, they really can't do it. And as a result, and it's funny because I was talking with Nate Tice, who does an awesome job, uh, Mike Tice's son. He was on the Ross Tucker football podcast yep. Wednesday. And he was bringing this up where – Teams have to scheme around that. Like, 
we cannot have so-and-so, we can't run this play, and we cannot have so-and-so on the front side, which is the play side, basically any play, right? Like, you either need to RPO them, split them out, have them on the backside, they try to get a cutoff block. So, like, though, it really becomes limiting. Watching college football in the NFL the last couple of years, I think if you have tight ends that are good enough in the receiving game, but can legitimately block edge guys, both in the run and pass, I think that is a huge advantage because it opens the playbook up more, Fran. And also, you know, the DNs aren't used to it because there's so few tight ends that can do it yep. that they're almost like stunned when they're in a six technique, which is the inside shoulder, essentially, okay, of the oh, tight end. Man, yep. If that tight end can block them and pin them on an outside running play, that is huge, and they're not used to that. They're not used to taking on that many that block like that because teams don't call that that much anymore. I'm watching the national championship game, and those Michigan tight ends at the point of attack, they were wearing out the Washington kids, especially early in the game. I mean, widening the hole, staying on them, finishing them. You know, it's a huge advantage. And then to take that to another level, when you start to get multiple tight ends out there, then the defense has to stay in their regular personnel or keep bigger people out there. So that's not something that they're used to or comfortable with. Then you can split those guys out. So now they've got their regular personnel, which they need because both tight ends can block. Now those guys are both split out. And so now they have to be in coverage. It's very, very valuable. It's why I believe Rob Gronkowski was the best tight end I've ever seen. Yeah. Because he could do it as a blocker. Like he could really do it as a blocker at the point of attack. And yet he's one of the best receiving tight ends we've ever seen. So a few things pop in my head, both when you sent me this topic uh, this morning and then also just hearing you talk about it. First, I thought you were going to go to the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, just because of their inability in those short yardage situations and uh, the issues that they've had blocking at the point of attack, particularly with the tight ends. Uh, you know, I thought that's where, so it's funny that you actually went uh, a different route there, um, but I think that that speaks to how prevalent this is around football right now. Uh, you look at Kate Otten uh, on the other side uh, for, you know, the, for the, the starting tight end for the Bucks right now, uh, when he was coming out of college he was that guy and honestly in co in the NFL right now in this offense under Dave Canales they put a lot on him and the others the second year tight end Co'Keefe as well uh, both of those guys they use as one-on-one -on -one point of attack blockers in the run game now this run game is not super efficient it's not been the soup the most productive run game in football I think that they're going to do some things from a personnel standpoint to uh, to improve on that this year maybe get another back to kind of pair with Rashad White uh, in the backfield but when you look at those two tight ends they put a lot on them, and it gives them an advantage. They like to play in base personnel, and I think that you're going to see that in this football game. Then, obviously, we know, like Eagles fans listening to this podcast know, the value that Dallas Goddard brings in terms of his true versatility as that player, as an inline guy, blocking at the point of attack, and then also, obviously, as a pass catcher. So uh, I would expect that in this game, you're going to see plenty of multiple tight end sets on both sides. Both teams are going to try and get that run game going. Uh, I do think that that's something that will be a big theme by the time we get to Monday night. Agreed. 
All right, let's get to topic number three. And this one comes from our listeners at home. Ryan Kelly went on to Apple Podcasts, left a five-star review, and left this question. And this was actually uh, directed towards you as well, so this is good. Uh, Ross, have you ever been on a team that changed coordinators midseason? And what is the strain for that on players? Basically, what has the Eagles defense gone through in the last few weeks? And most importantly, can it be fixed for the playoffs? No, I wasn't. I just went through every year in my head. Yeah. That never happened, at least to my knowledge. I will say that there are times where the head coach starts to get more involved. Right. In his side of the ball, and you don't know that. You know, like the, the media doesn't know that. But maybe they start to call more. Well, by the way, I'm not. That's not a reference to Philadelphia at all. I'm just saying the seven years I was in the league that I would not be surprised if, when things weren't going well in '03, if Greg Williams started calling the defense for the Bills instead yeah. of. Although I think it was Dick LeBeau, so probably not. Dick yeah, LeBeau right. was so awesome, but anyway, but that stuff can happen sometimes when things aren't going well. So the strain on the players. I would argue, first of all, there's actually more of a strain on the new coordinator hmm. because, and this was the uh, the the calculated risk, I guess, that I would say that Nick Sirianni took switching from Desai to Matt Patricia is that it's not really Matt Patricia's defense, you know, like. It's not what he put in in OTAs. It's not what he put in in training camp. So you have install, where you install the base defense, the base coverages. Then you install some blitz packages. And like every day you're adding to it, right? So Patricia was kind of learning this defense along with the players the whole time. And, you know, obviously has a good feel for it. But then when he... Got handed the, uh, I, I like to say the controller, right? Um, like it's a video game. It's not really what he designed. It's not necessarily his plays. So I don't know, Fran, maybe you know more than I do, but like, I don't know. The strain is if Patricia's trying to do stuff that is foreign to the guys and that they didn't do like in OTAs and in training camp. That would be the strain on the players. If he's not doing that, the strain is on Patricia to call the defense that is not really what he installed or what he designed or the vision that he perhaps had before the season. And that's what the, because I don't know either. And that's why I think, you know, for everybody on the outside, that which includes us, we don't know exactly because not all of these situations are the same. Every time a team makes a change uh, with a play caller or with a coordinator or whatever level uh, that you don't necessarily know exactly. All those situations are going to be handled a little bit differently. I think back to uh, when the LA Rams, when they lose Brandon Staley to the Chargers and they hire Raheem Morris, Raheem Morris did not install his defensive scheme. He came in and because that entire defensive staff cha- stayed the same in LA. They said, no, you are going to learn this scheme and you were going to call this scheme, but this is this, this is our scheme. You're going to come in and you're going to call it. Uh, so, you know, the, and that's one extreme. And then you, I, I, obviously there's another one where the a coordinator comes in, a play caller comes in and puts in everything themselves to do that midstream in the season. That's very difficult to do. Now, are there layers to that? I guess that's, that's what we don't know. Um, but to answer Ryan's question and thanks so much for the five, 
five-star review. Uh, I think that's that's the part that we just on the outside just won't know at this point. But uh, look, it's something that, um, you know, the Eagles, there's, there have been struggles over the last few weeks, to say the least. Uh, they will have to get a lot of those issues uh, corrected by the time they get to Monday night and moving beyond uh, if they're going to make a postseason run here. So, uh, Ross, if they do continue that postseason run, we'll be back uh, next week right here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Thanks so much for joining us for 3 and Out, and we'll talk to you next week. My pleasure, and I certainly hope they are so that we, they do so that we can talk next week for sure. All right, that said, let's get over to uh, John Ledyard. It's time now for some faux focus. What's this matchup look like from the other side? It's time to find out in faux focus. All right, so this week here on Faux Focus, I wanted to bring on somebody who knew this Tampa Bay Bucks team inside and out. And so I go to my guy, John Ledyard. You can follow him on Twitter at Ledyard NFL Draft. Uh, covered the Bucks previously for Pewter Report. Still does great work uh, covering them as, as well as a number of teams over at SB Nation and a number of another uh, another number of other outlets. John, thanks so much for joining us once again here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Brandon, it's always a pleasure when I get to come on and talk some ball with you. I get to go on lots of different shows, but it's always fun to do with people who get into the nitty-gritty of football, as I like to. So this is definitely a pleasure. I appreciate you having me on. Awesome, man. Well, let's uh, let's jump right into this matchup. Obviously, a rematch from back in week three, but uh, both of these teams have been on a securitous journey uh, before arriving here in wildcard <laughs> weekend. Uh, I'll ask you first, uh, put on your Dave Canales hat on. You're the offensive coordinator for the Bucks. What's the biggest strength for this team entering this matchup on offense? What gives you Dave Canales the most confidence in their ability to win this game? It's a good question because the Bucs haven't really been consistent at all this season. And so it's hard to pinpoint exactly like what this team is or anything this team is great at. They've been pretty good at throwing the football this season, though, just in general, especially late downs. They don't throw it enough on early downs is probably the biggest gripe I have. But uh, the p- passing game and the concepts and the way they've built things out um, without getting too much in the details, but they have a great they have great uh, route development off of their play action game, which is huge. Um, their pass concepts in general have been pretty aggressive. They found ways to get the ball down the field without necessarily running, you know, nine, eight, nine every time, like a, a pass offense in Tampa Bay, whatever the past couple of years, they've got just more, it's just more variety of their offense. They've learned, Oh, we can spread the field with Baker Mayfield. We can put four eligibles out in, in the receipt, in the route tree, and we can make things happen that way in the past game. We can get our running back involved. Rashad white, when the teams met in week three was not, most of the routes were just in the flat check downs, things like yep. that. Now he's an active part of the past game. So they've found a lot of answers in the past game. Mike Evans running uh, the lowest percentage of go routes in his career, still running them, but just running lots of different stuff and using him vertically. Chris Chris Godwin more on the outside and, and still playing in the slot a good bit, but more on the outside. And when he is in the slot, asking him to get vertical from the slot. And so the pass concepts are good. The route concepts in general tend to be layered pretty well, and they tend to be pretty um, – um, there's just a lot of good spacing in this offense, I would say. They know how to attack areas of a defense, and a lot of the things they struggled with early in the season didn't attack the middle of the field, could only work off play action. The play action usage has decreased. I think that might need to change a little bit this week, but they have also found better ways to attack the middle of the field even without play action. Baker Mayfield's gotten more comfortable in that area of the field. So in general, the pass game, while it can still be inconsistent at times, usually because they rely so much on being efficient on late downs, uh, where they I think they're 10th and third down conversion rate this season. Um, they've been pretty good in that regard, but when they have a game where that's off, as every team does, they can tend to look pretty bad as an offense because they don't pass enough on early downs. But that's the one thing I'd say is that the passing attack, as long as the play sequencing isn't a disaster, typically is a pretty good strength of this team. 
I feel like just watching them over the course of the season, and obviously I've, I've grinded through them a lot uh, earlier in this week and over the weekend, uh, but when they, they want to try and stay on schedule. Every offense does, but I think with this one, it's very important to be able to stay on schedule. It's one of the reasons why they were as effective as they were on third down for large chunks of the season. I do want to ask you, you know, just about Baker in a vacuum. Uh, what has been your thought watching him on a weekly basis? Uh, has he been about what you expected, above expectation? Uh, what, what are your thoughts on Baker Mayfield at this stage? Yeah, I think he's been above expectation, I would say, because I think, I mean, if you think about realistically, there was a time last year after the Panthers stint where it was like, is Baker Mayfield going to have a career in the NFL? Like, And so maybe that part, you know, he went to the Rams and he was decent and there was obviously some interest, but I mean, he signed for for very little money from Tampa Bay uh, for the season. So there was not a lot of interest in him. He didn't have a lot of offers. And so came in, competed for the starting quarterback job, got the job, but there was definitely a sense that this could be one of the worst starting quarterbacks in the league. And he's been a top half quarterback in the league, I think this year, uh, which yeah. is so definitely a pleasant surprise. All the things that you struggle with him are still there. Uh, one thing that's that's come up this season, he's not been a great deep ball thrower. When he has, this is a pretty aggressive offense that will push the ball down the field. Baker this season is 22 of 74 wow. on 20-plus uh, air yard throws down the field. So, yeah, I mean, you're talking about adjusting completion percentage of 31%. That is one of the lower marks in the league, uh, even when you take account for drops and things like that amongst quarterbacks at his position that have played as much as he has. So when he's had games where he's hit the deep ball, it's not an arm strength issue. It's really just an accuracy timing issue. When he's had games that he's done that, this offense has put up their best performances of the season. The Texans game, the Packers game, like all of those games, like they've been really good. But this offense is really predicated on that happening. And that's been the struggle this season is when he doesn't do that, then they have to live. You know, you're saying talking about staying in manageable situations, living for you know three plays to get a first down type of team. And when they do that, things typically spiral. They end up having to settle in a lot of their drives because it's just hard to convert that many third downs. So he's got to hit the vertical plays, but he has been much better in the pocket. His sack rate is way down, I think. Yep. Uh, it's like down four percentage points or something like that almost um, from his career averages and stuff. So he's done a better job of managing the pocket. He still will take some sacks he shouldn't take. But in general, his escapability has probably been the biggest surprise this year, just how many jams he's gotten himself out of. He loved to play that way in college, but it didn't really translate to the NFL. And it was a big reason why I think he struggled so much for a lot of his career. And now I think he's he's just relying on that and it's worked for him pretty much this whole season. So there are definite strengths with Baker that you're excited about for this season, but the weaknesses are still there too. And that's the thing. I remember watching the first two games of the year against Minnesota and against Chicago back in, you know, preparing for week three. And he was on a heater on third down. Yeah. And it was like that wizardry in the pocket that you mentioned, like his ability to just kind of escape. You hadn't seen that in the NFL. And it looked like vintage uh, Heisman Trophy Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma. And it's like, all right, like, you know, is this sustainable? And it didn't, it didn't sustain over the course of the season to that level because he was, like I said, he was like uh, almost perfect on third down. They had the best third down offense in football going into that game in week three. And now I believe they finished uh, like 11th, just outside the top 10. Yeah, okay. But I think when you look at that skill set, uh, and even you talk about like the drop in sack percentage, that's what Dave Canales did with Geno Smith a year ago as well. And so uh, it's certainly something that he's been teaching in terms of being able to manage the pocket, manage pressure. The Eagles will have to try and get home. They got home a couple times with him back in week three. You're you're trying to impact him, get him get get him off his rhythm. I think that will be a big part uh, of this defensive attack. Let's now go to the other side of the football. Uh, you're Todd Bowles, the defensive coordinator. So your defensive coordinator, Todd Bowles, Biggest strength on defense? What gives you most confidence in your ability to win the game? Yeah, this is a really hard one because your biggest strength is probably your individual, a couple individual players. So it's not yeah. even necessarily like something you're doing conceptually. Um, 
Antoine Winfield being arguably the best safety in the league this year, Pro Bowl voting disaster aside. Sure. Yeah, uh, he's been awesome. You know, you have Veo who's playing at a very high level this season as well. Levante David it continues to dial back the clock. He's, I think, had a better year this year than his previous two seasons. He's been outstanding. Um, so you have a couple of pillars at each level of your defense. The rest of the players around them, pretty good this season. The corners have struggled. Not a dissimilar situation from Philly's corners, where typically pretty good corners and Carlton Davis, Jamal Dean, haven't really stayed fully healthy this season, and then have kind of had lots of ups and downs when they've been out there. And so it that part of it, I think, concerns you a little bit. So it's individual players, and then I think it's more the matchup. Like the Bucks have not been a high pressure team this season. They have they've sent a lot of pressure. They haven't gotten a lot of pressure yeah. um, this season. It's not been as successful as other years of the Bulls regime. Um, he still continues to blitz at a very high rate. The encouraging thing is that he hasn't gotten pressure. He didn't get pressure in week three necessarily on Jalen Hurts uh, when he played him. But he, it was just the idea of blitzing, and he blitzed seventy five percent of Hertz dropbacks in week insane. three. Insane, yes, back in week three, yes, completely unhinged behavior. Um, and if he <laughs> continues to do that, if he continues, like he's going to be aggressive. Like Hertz and the and Bulls have matched up now. I think three times, at least twice, twice in, in this this era of Hertz, like since Hertz has kind of arrived a little bit. Well, playoff matchup, obviously. Yeah, I think this was I think this will be the fourth because they played the twice in 2021. There was that Thursday night, it was a Monday night, a Thursday night game uh in the regular season, and then it was the playoff game, and then That's twice right. this year. Yeah. Yep. So four so and then and in all of those games, while Hertz has gotten better and he played probably his best game against Bulls in week three. He hasn't necessarily been super comfortable in those games. He's held the ball a very long time. In fact, in this best game, I think it was almost four seconds on plays that he was pressured where he was holding the ball. So the Eagles offensive line has bested the Tampa Bay defensive line one-on-one and probably will again. Tampa Bay has good players and some Cansey didn't play in week three. Diaby yep. wasn't the player that he is now. So they're trending up a little bit, but I still don't think they'll win those one-on-ones necessarily if they need to. So can the blitz is hit? He's aggressive. That's worked against Jalen Hurts even when it hasn't resulted in direct pressure. Can that success continue for Bulls if he goes that strategy? That's what I would maybe be hanging my hat on. If you can get a couple blitzes to hit, that's where you could get Hurts into trouble. But on paper, there aren't like a whole lot of reasons to be super optimistic outside of the fact that the Eagles have just kind of struggled a little bit of late. And that's what, you know, it's funny you brought up the uh, the the blitzing success rate, and obviously the volume is there, third, third highest blitzing team in football. But uh, when I look at, like, the success rate when they blitz, they're yeah. 25th in football. Uh, you know, it was not a, a super productive blitzing scheme. Now, you're you're always going to kind of roll the dice there. And, you know, when you go to success rate, uh, that doesn't always say, like, oh, well, that doesn't account for the fact that on those ones that were successful were, like, huge sacks of minus nine that derailed the drive, right? And so uh, I think that when you look at uh, the productivity of this blitz, it has not always been there. And even without, without the blitz, I mean, they're 26th in pressure rate when they don't blitz this season. So uh, I think that, that it's, it's really interesting just kind of watching this defense, but they certainly are going to give uh, teams problems with the way that they play. They've done it throughout most of the season, and it's going to be a big challenge for Jalen Hurts and for this offense on Monday night is being able to handle that pressure scheme. Uh, I know that there was a, so Levant or uh, Devin White got benched a couple weeks ago. He's been up and down. I mean, obviously he was uh, kind of heralded as one of the top linebackers in football during that Super Bowl run a couple years back. Uh, what's your view on him right now? Is he uh, a strength of this defense, a weakness of this defense? Is he somewhere in between? Is he just kind of high variance? Uh, what are your thoughts on, on the linebacker play overall from Devin White? He has been a little bit better since the benching and it is not dissimilar. When he gets, when his public criticism reaches a crescendo, that's when Devin White tends His to play his best football because okay, he refocuses chip on the shoulder, like all that kind of stuff happens. That usually doesn't sustain, hasn't sustained. You know, the Super Bowl year, he played his best 
football of his life um, in the playoffs that year when the criticism for him was kind of at an all-time high. He responded that way. That's happened again a little bit. Uh, he's made some some good plays the last couple of weeks. He's not he, the biggest struggle with Devin White is he is not a quick processor. And so for the for the against Philly, for example, the Eagles love to get the Bucks in these light boxes up front, get six in the box, get some clean releases for their offensive line to the second level because Devin White does not play downhill as a linebacker typically. He will sit, he will wait, he will read it out, and then if you get a blocker on him, he is not getting off block. So the combination of traits, everybody's always like, what linebackers can stack and shed? And I'm always like, hardly any of them. Most of them, you have to beat blockers <laughs> two spots yep. in order to be successful. And he that's been his biggest struggle. The coverage stuff is he knows what to do in coverage. The problem is he will abandon assignments if play breaks down and things get out of structure. He'll abandon assignments to try and play hero ball. So you never quite know when that's coming. Um, there's this do-your-job element to Devin White's game that you just find yourself yelling every time you watch him four or five times a game. There is a potential for splash plays with him as a pass rusher, and that's why yep. he's he's been out there. And plus, KJ Britt then also got hurt, who was playing really well in his stead. So, White as a blitzer is a huge part of what the Bucks do. It's a huge part of what they've done against the Eagles every single time they've played him under in this era. Um, so, I have no doubt that's gonna Bulls is gonna continue to go back to that to a degree. Um, it hurts as I think the sixth most pressured quarterback of of the qualifying quarterbacks when you put yep. the filter thing this season and that's not because his offensive line is not very good he, he does tend to hold the football at times and some of that's the concepts and so i think tampa bay will be looking to take advantage of that white will be a big part of that the question for philly is are they going to be taken it take able to take advantage of the fact that he's out there in the ground game because that's where he really has struggled this season yeah the one pressure look you can guarantee you're going to see in this game is when they go five across you know typically levante david down on one of the edges so you got five across devin white lined up like four yards off the ball right behind vita vea at nose tackle and if vea's going left white's going right and maybe they're inserting another guy in there typically winfield yeah. or isian from the nickel uh somebody's somebody else is coming in there but white as a blitzer from depth uh in those looks it's uh one of the things that consistently shows up whenever i watch this defense let's go now to uh my next next question which is your Todd Bowles again as the head coach. What's your biggest concern going into this game? I think just the fact their secondary hasn't played very well. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not only been a concern, it's been a concern of the past against Philly, I think, too. Just outside of Winfield, you've had down years for pretty much everybody. Uh, I'd say career worst years for at least since they kind of emerged. Maybe the rookie years were worse, but from Jamel Dean and from Carlton Davis, who struggled, Zion McCollum's taking a nice step in the right direction. He's kind of the third corner now. They've played him at safety a little bit, like a couple yep. snaps. They want to get him on the field. They're very excited about his potential. He plays crazy hard. He also can make a lot of boneheaded mistakes at times. Uh, Jamel Dean is kind of the king of this. I don't think anybody's attacked Jamel Dean better than Philly has over the years. I think there's been double moves I can think of in, uh, uh, that to attack him. There was in the playoffs. They had a touchdown, and Hurts kind of threw it late, and Mike Edwards came over and picked it off uh, in the playoff game a couple years ago. Right. And they yeah, based I remember that. So there's been they have no they know how to attack Jamel Dean they know how to attack him um, he is not a great processor in zone and sometimes if you hit him with a double move you can get him and so they have will have ways to try and get splash plays on him that will be a big part of the approach he's not played great this season and so that's a concern Carlton Davis has had ups and downs just all throughout the season um, some of the ways the Bucks have handled certain route concepts uh, we've done a whole. The post wheel concept just continues to befuddle them in cover three. They never carry the wheel with the flat defender. And so there's a lot of those things on tape where you can see reoccurring issues that teams are probably just going to take advantage of until they prove that they can solve some of those things. So the combination of that plus 
Bulls defense has always been the same, right? You're always going to give up a ton of yards. Teams are going to throw on you more than they're going to run on you. And you are going to get to a point, I think, where with all this where you're like, okay, we've got to blitz because it's the only way. We can't get home with four. And obviously, as you read, that's not been successful. So it's been hard for them to find something to hang their hat on defensively this year outside of the play of a few individuals that have saved them. Uh, but in general, I think like they're just not they're not a good enough pressure team to be able to overcome the issues they have on the back end. And they're not good enough on the back end to overcome the fact that they haven't gotten pressure the same way they've gotten in the past under the Bulls regime. So it's a kind of a combination of factors. You don't have any of the strengths that you usually rely on. John, my last question for you. Most pivotal matchup on Monday in your mind, uh, whether it's either side of the football, position group, opposition group, player on player, what's the the most important battle uh, for this game? Well, it's probably either of the trenches you can probably yeah. pick, um, you know, but that's where Philly, the Bucks have improved both throughout the season. I think um, their offensive line has gotten better. It's, it still has some weak spots. Cody Mount could look great on a couple snaps, but like it's been up and down for him. Hainsey at center, Stinney at left guard has struggled last couple of weeks. First couple of weeks he played where he was a revelation. He was helpful in the run game that hasn't held up as it doesn't with most career backups. And so that's a group that is pretty solid, but can be taken advantage of by an elite defensive line like Philly. And then you flip to the other side, Philly's offensive line being amongst the best in the league with a Bucks team that struggled 1v1 to get home as pass rushers. Now, Kansi has been maybe their best pass rusher this season. They and need to do a better They did not play in week three, Kansi. Yep. did not play in week three, exactly. So they need to do a better job of getting Kansi in good matchups. They have not done a great job of that, I think, with some of their scheme stuff. Bulls has, if there's a criticism of him as a, as a, as a pass rush, you know, uh, guru type of guy, he's not great at getting his best pass rushers one-on-one situations where they should win all the time. A lot of it's concept stuff. Like we're going to run this complicated blitz and this is your job, do your job. And somebody will pop free. It's not necessarily, let's get our best guy over their worst guy. And let's make something happen. Let's rely on this guy's skill set. It's more of a conceptually. I love this. Who do we have? Let's plug him in. Let's run this. So I think sometimes they would benefit from getting the uh, one of their best rushers on one of the worst pass protectors types of things and moving guys around a little bit more. Um, and so that I think is going to be one of the huge matchups in the game. Like if Tampa Bay can't get pressure with four and they can't get pressure by blitzing, you know, hurts is like the offense is just too many weapons. And even when they've hit bumps in the road this season in Philly, like there's, that's just a recipe for disaster for Tampa Bay. Cause I know they're not gonna be able to hold up on the back end. So they really need to be able to find a way to generate some level of pressure when they've beat hurts or overcome in the past or given him a real hard time. It's because they were just bombarding him throughout the game. That's really what's worked against him. And when they couldn't do that, even at the level that they typically do at, he was good enough to beat him earlier this season. And so that to me is probably where the games won or lost more than anything. Yeah, we're recording this on Wednesday morning, and there's been no announcements or reports yet on terms of uh, the health of the Eagles' two receivers. You know, A.J. Brown uh, suffered the injury week 18. Devontae Smith the week before <clears throat> in week 17 did not play in week 18. So as we sit here now, it's tough to say, like even taking advantage of that questionable matchup against the uh, the, the Bucks secondary, uh, that will be interesting to watch and see how that plays out. But I agree with you. I think when you look at the trenches, and that was where the Eagles decidedly won back in week three. I, the first thing in my notes was Eagles dominated on – O-line, D-line, and they won the game in that way, in that fashion. Uh, you kind of need a repeat performance, I think, in this one, depending on the health of those two receivers. John, thanks so much for joining us once again. Everyone go follow John uh, for his excellent analysis of this team, of this game, at Ledyard NFL Draft over on Twitter. Follow his work over at SB Nation. John, we'll talk to you soon, man. Absolutely, man. Thanks so much for having me. 
Great stuff there from John Ledyard. Now let's head over to our Eagles game plan crew. This is all extra analysis that I couldn't quite squeeze into the show because of time constraints, but John Clark, Ike Reese, Mike Quick, Greg Cosell, always bringing the heat. Let's get to that analysis now. Yeah, I would also say it's a well-constructed play. When, yeah. when you take away Godwin and then you have the timing aspect where when you go to the dig route on the outside, uh, it's the, just the perfect timing. But talk to me about how these reduced splits work in that system because they use them a lot. If I'm a defensive back, I'm thinking an outbreaking route from these guys many times when they have these reduced splits. Hugh, that's a great point about reduced splits because a lot of teams now, good passing teams use reduced splits for a couple of reasons. Number one, as you know, it's very hard to press reduced splits. And number two, because of that, what you often get with corners is they play with greater width and depth. So you get free access off the ball. It does not disrupt the timing of the receiver's routes and therefore does not disrupt the timing of the quarterback on his drop. And it becomes very difficult to play it. And you're 100% right. Now you have two-way goes with receivers as well. They can work inside. They can work outside. There's a lot of space. So it makes it more difficult for corners. We have seen the Eagles pass defense. They've given up the second most touchdowns this this year through the air, yes. Mike Evans and that passing attack with Baker Mayfield. How important is the communication going to be on the back end, especially Mike Evans could line up in the slot a lot of times? Yeah, it's going to be huge. I think that's been also a part of our defensive breakdown areas is some sort of lack of communication sure. on the back end, right? Sure. So sometimes, and when you have new bodies back there with the personnel changes due to injuries or what have you, that's going to happen at times. It'll be interesting to see what Coach Patricia wants to do with Darius Slay, who's probably going to return. Slay loves these big matchups when you get primetime receivers he's going up against. I don't know if he's going to travel with Mike Evans everywhere he goes, but definitely if Evans is on that outside, I expect to see Slay lined up across from him. And Slay loves these type of challenges and matchups. This, that's one of the matchups I'll be looking forward to seeing. Yeah, in big games like this, too, Slay yeah. likes to play and he likes to perform in these big games. And, and not only Slay, but the Godwin matchup, I think this is a, the type of secondary that really matches well with these receivers. They're not these small, quick receivers. These are big guys. And the big guys in the Eagles secondary, I think, will match up well in that passing game. And when you have a big fella like Vita Vea in the middle, do you want to get him going side to side instead of just clogging up that middle? Definitely. Don't run straight at him. Yeah, yeah. Get him going east and west, much like with our young guys, right? So um, when you have big guys in that middle, yeah. the last thing they want to do is go sideline to sideline. They want to be able to go north and south. So, yeah, we have the ability to have great perimeter run game with our athletic guys up front and with Swift and his ability to bounce things outside or cut back I think that's where we can have an advantage at the zone blocking scheme that the Eagles use I, I think it's going to be a real good ploy against that defense and I, I love watching in that first matchup the way these guys get downfield when you see Kelsey down the field he's 10 yards down the yeah. field you know something's good happening when you see those big guys when they're way down the field and that's honestly where the strength of this Eagles team is that sure. it's on their lines of scrimmage. Both sides. Yes, on yeah. both sides of the ball. You look at that offensive side of the ball, we got big athletic guys there. Allow those guys to fire off the ball, knock these small linebackers down, and allow DeAndre Swift, Kenny Gainwell to find running lanes. Jalen also wasn't a big part of the running game early in the season. He's much healthier now, so he can be a part of that running game as well. And defensively, 
if we're if we're controlling the line of scrimmage on the interior part, I think that's going to allow Josh Sweat and Hassan Reddick on the outside to wreak some havoc. And again, I look at Baker's size and his stature. Right, he's got the most out of that ability. If you can't get to him, get your hands up. Sure, get your hands up. Obstruct his view of being able to throw the ball. When they talk about Todd Bowles, Todd Bowles defense, what do they talk about? Blitzing, blitzing. Yeah. Well. You can't blitz if you're running the ball down the throat. It's true. If you're running the ball, you're controlling the line of scrimmage, there's no room for blitzing because they're controlling everything that you're doing on the field. Yeah, the Eagles had the ball for almost 39 minutes in that game, and they had great balance on offense, running the ball 40 times, 37 passes from Jalen. So that may have been one of their better games, and it matched their most lopsided win of the season by two touchdowns. Be sure to check out Eagles Game Plan. It goes up digitally on Saturday across all Eagles channels, or if you live in the Philadelphia area, Sunday morning, NBC 10 at 10 a.m. Great stuff, as always, from the Eagles Game Plan crew. Thanks, as always, to them, and thanks to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our X's Nose content here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.